Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 277. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to discuss Discovery's third season episodes, Die Trying and Scavengers. Here we go. Die Trying, Season 3, Episode 5, original release date, November 12th, 2020, directed by Mahav Rillo, teleplay by Sean Cochran, story by James Duff and Sean Cochran, guest cast include Michelle Yeoh as Philippa Georgiou, Oded Fair as Charles Mance, Blue Del Barrio as Adira Tal, David Cronenberg as Kovic, Tig Notaro as Jet Reno, Emily Coots as Kayla Detmer, Patrick Kwok Chun as Jen Reese, Oyen Oladehu as Joanne Oshkun, Ronnie Rowe Jr. as R.A. Bryce, Sarah Midich as Nielsen, Brenda Baser as Eli, Jake Epstein as Dr. Addis, Vanessa Jackson as Audrey Willa, Anna Sani as the mother, and Ava McKinnon and Shahzad Kopadia as the daughters. <laughs> Using Sienna's memories, Adrea guides Discovery to Starfleet headquarters. Starfleet Admiral Charles Vance asks for Burnham, Saru, and Adria to beam over to the base, where Adria is taken away for medical testing. Admiral Vance informs Saru and Berman that the crew will be debriefed and reassigned while their ship is studied, which Saru agrees to in hopes of earning the trust of Starfleet. Captain's Log, Supplemental. After a journey of 930 years and a return to Earth that we could not have anticipated, we are finally on the verge of reaching our destination, Federation and Starfleet Headquarters. Separate entities that must now abide together. A sign of this new time, I suppose. I can only hope that they are as eager for us to arrive as we are to be home. I remember watching this episode for the first time. I hadn't paid attention to any behind the scenes or anything. And I had no idea that David freaking Cronenberg was in this. And there's a scene and it's David Cronenberg and he starts talking. And in my brain, it was like, well, that sure looks like David Cronenberg. And it sounds like David Cronenberg. But I mean, David Cronenberg isn't in Star Trek. So it just broke my brain. And then, you know, the more he spoke, the more I realized, that's David Cronenberg. It still blows my mind to see David Cronenberg in Star Trek. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I love it. He is still my favorite working director. The couple of directors that maybe I like and love even more than Cronenberg are no longer with us. So of the guys that are still alive and still making movies, David Cronenberg is number one. So it's just weird for him to be in the movie. I mean, the show. It, it doesn't make sense, but... That's the main thing I'm going to remember from this whole season, really, but certainly of this episode. I'm sorry, did you say that you, you didn't get any backstory on why he did this? Or I want to know how he, you know, it's it's the one thing that might make checking out the behind the scenes. I mean, I know they shoot it, you know, up in, in Canada, in uh, Toronto, right? Yeah. And he's he's a Canadian and he's most made most of his movies up there and stuff, so. I mean, I'm sure he's local. Maybe he just wasn't doing something on a Tuesday. Yeah, but it's like he was, but he was in like multiple episodes too, right? At least yeah. a couple. It's it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. I mean, I remember I, I saw him, I waited in line many hours because I just wanted to see him in person one time at Comic-Con. And it was so bizarre that he even came to Comic-Con. And honestly, when he while he was there, it was exactly what I expected, which was he kind of, 
I mean, it was like he couldn't be bothered and he was annoyed that he was having to be there and stuff <laughs> because he's, you know, he's David Cronenberg. He makes these like real <laughs> big, serious pictures, not um, the kind of stuff that he didn't even know that which movie was that history of violence. He didn't even know it was based on a comic book when he took the script. But anyway, uh, yeah, I want to know how he ended up in this show because even if somebody was a big fan that was made this show, the fact that he would agree to do it, it's just banana pants, just banana pants. You guys were not as dumbfounded as I was clearly. <laughs> hmm. well, it's a cool part. Definitely. Yeah. Cool scenes. Yeah. It's, it's a high point in the season. I mean, that character and what they're doing with it. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Well, Steve, why don't you start us on this one? That trying. Yeah, so on the whole, I mean, we're kind of getting more of the same. We're moving the plot slowly along as we do in Discovery with various subplots. And there's things that they could spend more time on that might be more interesting if they did and less time on other things and so on and so forth. But essentially, we're, you know, we, we are in the future. We're part of Starfleet. Now it's dealing with the practical ramifications of, okay, are we going to, they're going to split everybody up. They're going to put them on other uh, ships, but that lasts such a brief period of time here that it does, it just kind of goes over your head and um, which could be a serious thing, uh, but they don't really, they don't really deal with it much. I was thinking like how much it would have opened this show up for them to, to actually do that. Yeah. Just for an yeah. episode for that, to split them up. It opens with this beautiful, CG work, all these ships. Oh my gosh, the Voyager 3 or whatever it was. It's really neat and it's really pretty, but we never go into any of those ships or anything. Yeah. The only place we, the only place we go into the stuff with Oded, uh, with, the, with him as the Admiral, you know, it, it feels like two people on a green screen. And it, so it just, it feels oddly small. Um, and I thought, you know, if they'd opened this up and actually sent some of the crew to some other ships a little bit, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's kind of par for course. I mean, you know, take not taking the opportunity to use up one of the episodes on something like that and instead just kind of uh, just going right past it and moving on. You know, it's like, oh, you know, because you, you, you feel for them. I mean, never, you know, you don't understand why they would do that yet. It, it does make sense on some kind of practical level, but that lasts such a short period of time. It seems to not make any difference. Anyway, they move on. You've got this interesting little story of a, you know, a family watching this, um, you know, uh, seed thing or whatever. You know, that's, that's a real thing. Obviously we, there are, even on earth, you know, we have these things where they, they stow away seeds and so forth in case the whole planet blows up or something. And, and, you know, that, that I like that. I like it because it's small, you know, it's one of those rare things they do that is a small story and they make it personal and they've got the Barzans and all this little backstory of a, of a kind of a throwaway uh, alien species from next gen. So that's kind of cool. Um, that, that's cool. They deal with that. Um, glad they got an Arium reference in there because we didn't get enough of that in the last season. I'm like anyone to still remember who that was and that she died. And, uh, and then we also begin this uh, series of issues with, uh, real, really begin this series of issues with Giorgio and what's going on with her and trying to, and that, that plays a big part later. 
Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's bad. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of the same kind of stuff we got going. At least they have a little bit of a interesting story there with the family on the ship and the seeds and so on. Adam, your first thoughts? Um, yeah, like you, I got, I enjoyed the CG and the, the kind of a little bit of the nostalgic walk through all the, the starships, obviously, you know, Voyager, Voyager. Um, I think they had, what was it? There was a USS Nog too. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, but I kind of, I mean, I gotta be honest. I kind of felt like that whole, I mean, other than that, it was kind of felt like anticlimactic, you know, when you think about it for a minute, I'm like, okay, a ship from a thousand years past shows up and, um, the Admiral just doesn't really seem to be all that. I, I don't know. It just seems like it just, it just seems flat. I guess that's the best way for me to put it. It just seems like flat. The Admiral kind of seems disin Admiral Vance kind of seems disinterested. And I guess obviously, I guess if you come from a time where time travel is just regular place and you have these temporal accords. But I mean, that's all nuanced, and I don't think most audiences would get that. So I I don't know. I kind of when I was first watched this, I kind of wanted a little bit more when they first got to Starfleet. You know, they just go through the barrier and they okay, we're gonna beam over, and then it's like kind of like normal everyday stuff but um you know the effects are cool in there you know kind of what they got going on like steve i enjoyed the um the seed ship idea them having to go there it kind of felt like more of a, a calm kind of star trek story i guess my only complaint with um with that and i don't i don't want to rip on burnham at all but because she's a great character she's well portrayed she's the performances are really good but i kind of feel like <laughs> she's always the one that has to kind of step up to be the one to save the day. Um, so the one thing I didn't like about that, you know, when, when, you know, the doc is like, Hey, you know, you're the only one that can relate to this guy and pull him out of it. You know, you can feel his pain. I'm like, didn't we do this a couple episodes ago? And it just kind of felt unnatural to me because she kind of goes over there and she says exactly the same thing that um, her crewmate said. And so uh, I don't know why they keep doing that. I mean, it kept me, brought me back to like thinking about next gen and deep space nine, you know, there would be episodes where we would hardly see Picard or, or, um, you know, the main, main character in the episode. And so it kind of let the side or, you know, let the other characters kind of grow and, and get used to it. And I kind of thought that might've been a place where they could have done this, but obviously she stays on the seed ship, and so there's no really reason to do that because we don't see her again. It was a little bit of that. I think I mentioned this before. We've all mentioned this before, and we're probably going to be mentioning it again later in the season. There was more of that sense of, you know, in the same kind of way you're talking about with her, it's more like with the whole with the whole ship and the, the whole crew. Only Discovery can save them. You know, it's it's kind of silly when you've got this scene with Discovery's engineering folks and they figure out the space burp thing. And the person who should be 900 years worth of technology in the future is just dumbfounded, like, oh my God, this is amazing. You guys figured it out, and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that seems kind of silly. Yeah, this stuff makes no sense. I mean, you know, that's the thing is like, the, I mean, I know every situation is different and we can't like translate it exactly to try to understand it in our heads in terms of what it would be like if someone hundreds of years ago came to our time and what that would be like but it, it makes zero sense that everyone's just one they they don't even understand how, how they never got to it if, if a spore drive is a thing and you can do what you can do with it they haven't made it again and two they don't understand the ramifications of what that means for them in their situation yeah you know, they're just kind of like well, well yeah well we're still going to stick to protocol i mean 
it doesn't make any sense. That, that, you know, I get that we we can't fathom people in that situation, but we we've got you've got to make the audience feel something, you know. And it's if you have such a neutrally kind of buy the book, whatever kind of thing, and here we go, you just you know you don't buy it. You just you just can't buy into it, you know. I, w- I will say I, d- I enjoyed the Giorgio storyline. You know, here Emperor, you know, basically, you know, as close to omnipotent as any kind of mortal human being could become. That's what she was at one point. She's transformed into something in between what Captain Giorgio was and what Emperor Giorgio is. It's kind of like a hybrid. So it's kind of thing. It's interesting. They're walking this path to kind of show that she has some vulnerabilities that she's not um, impenetrable, you know? So it's, it's kind of an interesting, it is an interesting storyline that we go through for the next several episodes and her conclusion to the show. Well, I liked at the end there, uh, when Saru was talking to, what's the Admiral's name? Vance. Vance. Shouldn't they all have like wildly different names? Like, shouldn't they almost sound like alien to us? I don't know. Yeah, they should just run through a synthesizer and be a big mess, and that would be more accurate. They should have went back to Shakespearean English. That should have been like the dialect. (laughs) Uh, But I I do like that bit at the end there where Saru was telling the Admiral, our unique perspective from another time can help you kind of see things a little differently. Or, yeah, I don't know. There's something interesting about that. If that had been more like what the whole, the metaphor for the whole season is, I think that could have been, that could have been something. So I'm not sure they make much of it, but I, you know, I like that idea. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds like we had some, some negative comments, certainly not like this episode's amazing kind of comments but i would like to point out in case you missed it that david Cronenberg is uh, in the episode <laughs> oh yeah and that's a fun scene i mean we didn't really talk about the actual scene i mean it's a it's yeah, a fun the scene, scene uh, the, the, when it cuts back and it's and it's him just him and george o <laughs> scene's good and you know it's david Cronenberg. i mean they really probably could just do the whole season with those two and it would be a better yep. season probably <laughs> i would pay my subscription for that <laughs> Wait, you already do. <laughs> What's this episode about? Um, a lot of it I got was the kind of the generalized theme was like returning home. Obviously, Discovery returning to Starfleet is is their is their kind of their home, so to speak. Even though a thousand years in the future in a completely different scenario, and then you know you have the the space the space siege ship, and um, oh my god, what is what is the the security officer's name? I'm completely spazzed on it. Barzan's the Barzan's Barzan? name, Barzan. What's her, what? Non. Right, Sorry. Right. Yeah. So non, you know, her returning home. She she's around her people. We get a little bit of a backstory on her that she, you know, she left at a young age, and you know, her family probably wouldn't have didn't approve of her going to Starfleet, and you get a little bit of like, you know, they probably would have been disappointed by hearing about her death, or at least devastated some in some way or in form or another. So non staying on that on the spaceship and then she wants to return home. So there's kind of that overarching theme that they kind of got going through there with the A and the B story or the first half and the second half of the um, episode where it's about returning home. One opportunity they missed is tying those together a little better in, in the sense that they, it is a returning a return to home, which is an, which is an, I think nice theme to go on, but the, on an emotional level, they're very different notions, right? Because essentially there's a, with the whole crew and with going back to Starfleet, it's like a disappointment. It's kind of like temper your expectations because it's not going to be so interesting when you get back. Um, but for non, 
yeah, she has a homecoming. It, it would be nice if they would have made those tie together on some kind of a level emotionally a little better. But um, so it's almost you have two little themes going on because they're, they're very different stories. I mean, if, back when we would try to tie A and B stories together, like in Next Gen, when we're analyzing those, we would say this would be some uh, kind of thing where they kind of made an attempt and failed to put those stories together. Um, but I will say overall, this is a, at least an average episode for the season. They they do some interesting things, and the whole the whole bit on the uh, seed station and whatnot is certainly interesting and feels more Trek than some of the other stuff we've seen. And it's it's a little bit more David Cronenbergy in a way. <laughs> Waiting for some body mutilation happening <laughs> going on or something. <laughs> so, you know. Brian, would you like to see him return in Section Thirty One if they do that show? <laughs> I would watch him do anything. Magically, they put him in everything, you know. They just yeah, him in all this why, why not? I was wondering, like, where are these people getting their Starfleet training? How are they all so Starfleet-y? Where's, is there a Starfleet Academy on one of those ships? Because it's it's all these people are pretty much just normal starfleet people, even though it's been a couple of generations since they were on Earth, right? That was a little weird. I was kind of wondering about that. It was on the, um, what was it, the Rainforest ship. That's where The Rainforest ship. Yeah. All right, let's do six degrees for die trying. Steve, David Cron- Cronenberg plays Kovitz. What is your favorite Cronenberg movie? Now, I almost asked what is my favorite Cronenberg movie, but I thought that might be a little unfair. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking what is your favorite Cronenberg movie? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure, but the first thing that pops in my head is Videodrome. Very good. I'll take it. Now, I could have been... What? <laughs> Holy Grail. <laughs> what is your favorite color? Wrong. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what is this? Like? Blue. No, yellow. I think that's what it is. Uh, but no, that is that is, uh, that is is your favorite. Okay, great. Good. Steve has one. Moving on. Scavengers, Season 3, Episode 6. Original release date, November 19th, 2020. Directed by Douglas Arianukoski. Written by Anne Kofel Saunders. Guest cast include Michelle Yeoh as Philippa Giorgio. Oded Fair as Charles Vance. Ian Alexander as Gray Tall. Noah Aperbot Katz as Rin, Blue Del Barrio as Adira Tal, Ian Lake as Talor, Emily Coots as Kayla Detmer, Patrick Kwakchun as Jen Reese, Oyen Oladeo as Joanne Oisakun, Ronnie Rowe Jr. as R.A. Bryce, Sarah Minich as Nilsson, Julianne Grossman as Discovery Computer, Ava Blackwell as Captain Rama, Vanessa Jackson as Audrey Willa, Daniel June as Lai, Daniel Mandic as Salvage Regulator, David Benjamin Tomlinson as Linus, and Catherine Trowell as Bondra. Discovery is upgraded to utilize future technology, including programmable matter. Admiral Vance orders the Discovery to remain at the ready for any rapid response mission. Soon after, Book's ship arrives carrying a three-week-old message about a new discovery he has made, the black box for a Starfleet ship that was destroyed in the burn. Burnham believes that she can use this black box to trace the origin of the burn, but Saru orders her to remain on Discovery. Burnham agrees, but then disobeys this order by taking Giorgio and Book's ship to go find him. Your job is to follow orders, Captain. But I need to rely on your judgment. Commander Burnham's mission was 100% rogue, but also an unexpected opportunity. If asked, I may have deemed the intel worth the risk. Noted, sir. Commander Burnham, why don't you tell me what I'm about to say? 
the source of the burn. It's not an issue that you have the luxury of pursuing. Correct. Because every day you have a hundred fires you have to put out. Correct. And I disobeyed a direct order and undermined my captain's authority and yours. Correct. This episode has 100% less Cronenberg, so we're going to see what we think about it. Adam, kick us off. <laughs> okay, well, we have a little bit of carryover that was kind of, we didn't talk about it in um, um, Die Trying, but there's a little bit of tension between um, that's created in Bur- between Burnham and Saru, especially when they when they get to Starfleet headquarters. In the previous episode, she had that bit where she briefly suggested they try to steal that data they needed in yeah, the previous episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's a little, you, they kind of started with a little bit of tension between them. Uh, you know, they're going, you know, they're going back to this, you know, this year that really, you know, affected Burnham in a, in a way where she's kind of no longer wants, you know, she's questioning her Starfleetness, I guess, I guess you could say. So that carries over, that really carries over to, into these, into this episode, Um, you know, you know, soon after, you know, obviously, the Admiral orders them to stay there. We have this kind of this whole briefing because there's some crisis going on and they want Discovery at the ready to jump over there and take care of business as soon as possible. Burnham has this, um, you know, she has basically she has this obsession with finding out where what caused the burn, where, you know, everything about the burn. That's what she's been doing the past year. And she's still kind of in that frame of mind. So she disobeys Saru. She goes to Giorgio. I love the line. You you had me at, what was it? <laughs> you had me at off the books. Unsanctioned, unsanctioned mission. Yeah. <laughs> unsanctioned mission. That was great. <laughs> um, so they go off and, um, you know, they, they find book. They get the black box that, you know, and they come back. Obviously, I don't think Discovery ever jumped anywhere. So no harm, no foul. But, you know, Saru has to report that his first officer, you know, took off and disobeyed orders. So we have this, um, we have this drama again that was kind of that went on in the first season between Saru and Burnham. You know about trust, and you know, well, Bur- you know, Saru, you know, he respects Burnham, and you know, he thinks the world of her, but sometimes he feels that she doesn't make great decisions. And then you know, Saru, who's very conservative, and all these things from the first season are kind of are rehedging right now, which I guess in a way is kind of natural. You know, Saru just took the captain's chair. So he is now the captain. He hasn't been captain this whole time. He's kind of been acting captain, first officer. So this is a new territory for him. And obviously Burnham is, like I said, is still obsessed with the burn. So they have this created drama between them that kind of comes to the end where he takes away her, um, you know, first officer duties. Steve, your first thoughts? Yeah, I think there's a number of interesting things going on. I mean, in, in terms of Saru and Burnham, their long-term relationship and their conflicts are interesting in general because they're they're really it's it's the longest you know thing that we've seen consistently go throughout the series is their, is their relationship and um you know they they both lean a certain direction that makes the conflict happen. But I, I think I think that sometimes what's problematic is you don't always buy. I don't always buy into what Burnham is going for. You know, like she's this whole thing with the burn and all that. I mean, they're setting it up because they want that. They want that to be this what the season's about. You know, like wh- why did the burn happen? What's the story? We learn the answer at the end, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think they sell it enough <clears throat> to say they don't they don't sell it enough for us to understand why she's so into that that motivation why does she want to know that so much where she just flat out i'm ignoring your order i'm doing this thing etc 
I mean, you get a lot of good moments. Her and Book have chemistry. All that's great. I, I don't doubt that. I mean, there's some drama on that planet where all they're, all they're held and so on and so forth. That's that's cool. But um, I, I, I never fully understand where that's coming from, or at least they don't spend enough time on it for me to really to get that. But um, anyway, you know, you you that it, it's bookended sort of because of the what they reference in the past episode in terms of their issues of Saru and Burnham and, and her loyalty and playing along with what Saru wants. So I think, so Steve, I think we brought this up in a couple episodes ago where this, this year that Burnham was away doing her thing. First off, I mean, you know, it's a year is not that long and they never really alluded to anything tra- really traumatic happening to her other than, you know, other than, you know, jumping 900 years into the future and having to complete, start completely over. But there's, there's, you know, we don't really, you know, we talked about there should have spent an entire episode on that year. I mean, just at least one episode, they probably could have done two, but at least one episode on that year that she spent doing what she was doing. And then, then I think these things that they're trying to do right now would make a lot more sense because the audience would be clued in emotionally with her. Yeah. She has those lines where she says that she spent every single day trying to figure out the origins of the burn. I didn't find that clear from the two seconds of montage that we got before I thought, but okay. But you're right. Like if that's, that that motive, Steve. You're right that that motivation feels weak. And Adam, I agree that they could have given that motivation some weight if they'd spent a little more time showing us that, showing us why what she was doing during that year that that made this so important to her. Because it's not. It doesn't seem important to like when she first meets Book. The origins. They're past, he's past caring. Starfleet seems like they're past caring, or they feel like right. they're too busy with other stuff. So, you know, what, what is everybody's moved on? Yeah. What is what is driving her? She says the one the one line she gives us here is that she feels like Starfleet can't come back together or the Federation can't come back together until they figure out the origins of the burn. But she didn't even know what little was left of the Federation existed until an episode or two ago. Certainly not during that year. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to tell that story of her year early on, you're going to have to make it clear, more clear that that's what's going on. That something significant happened that may, brought her to this point, and then still show it in some respect later. I mean, you can do it that way if you want to, but in, in the way they're doing it, it's just you, you can't you can't imagine imagine it. This is not like a novel or something, right? You don't just write it all out and then tell the story and all that. You've got to you've got to show it and make us feel it. Or we just don't buy into it, you know. Well, you at least in a novel, you can read about it, right? Right. <laughs> but if you, yeah, in this format, if you don't show it to us, we're not going to feel it, you know. Or if it's not evident, so I mean, I'm not saying it's all crap because of that, but they're clearly they're basing some element of this on on this lost year. And if you're going to do that, you need to go all in, you know. You can't you can't just you know, jump around it and kind of waffle around with your choices and fiddle farting around. It, it's, it's silly. It's, I mean, it's, it's another one of those examples of the writers, you know, kind of half-heartedly making a choice. That's the thing. You've got to just go all in, in my opinion. That, they don't do that. It's also one of those, uh, has one of those, oh, what's the word for that? Narrative dissonance. 
Burnham and Giorgio take Book's ship on an unauthorized trip. And when they're there, they kill a whole bunch of people. They don't just beat people up. <laughs> they show them kill scores of sentient creatures. And all that happens is um, she gets bumped down a pip in rank or something, you know? That seems kind of like, wait, what? This this all reeks of nobody has the gumption in the writer's room to to say something, like raise your hand. I mean, what's the story? I mean, everyone's just kind of playing along, you know? Those things should be somebody, like one out of one out of five to ten people should have a problem in a Star Trek story with those things, and, and no one is. So, so something's up. Well, and it's not even that inter- It's not even that clever of a story when they go down on that planet. You know, it's it, like I said, it's, it's fun to see Michelle Yeoh. I mean, she's great, but even this is it's it's almost it's goofy lame. It's like okay, we're gonna t- tote around with this Orion guy. You know, we're just wasting time looking at parts. It's not even that clever book is in a prison i don't know it's it's something that we've seen over and over again i mean you know they they did that storyline fine but it's to me it's it's not original or clever i mean maybe try something else it did remind me a lot of and i know you're saying it's been done in star trek but honestly very specific sequences reminded me of um running man you guys have that same thought i mean the, the way the prison is set up the security system blown up the head and how they escape and all of that seemed right out of the first 10 minutes of uh, The Running Man. Our younger listeners can look that one up. <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, Sonequa, Martin Green, and Michelle Yeoh are both so good. I, I like that that scene when she go Green goes up to Yeoh, Burnham goes up to Giorgio, and says, asks her about what's really going on, and she, and she, you know, she shows her some compassion and like, makes sure she understands that She's not alone. She doesn't have to go through whatever this medical situation is alone or whatever. And Giorgio's response is still kind of dark and certainly not warm or, you know, inviting or receptive, I guess is the word I'm looking for. But they're both, they're just both really good. Well, I enjoyed the bickering, you know, when um, Giorgio was trying to delve into what's going on between her and Book. Oh, so, love, that, life, that, lived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said loved. That was, that was fun, yeah. Yeah, those, those, those were some funny scenes in there, you know, it's, you know Clearly, you know, um, Burnham being very defensive and stuff like that. But again, we, we're, you know, we have to, we have to wonder, we have, as an audience, we have to wonder ourselves because we really don't know what happened over that year. Even in the, even in the montage scenes, you don't really see book that much. So another thing I want to make sure to point out is, you know, Jeff Russo's score is it's good in every episode and we don't talk about it. We've kind of had that problem our entire, (laughs) when the history of our podcast is not talking about the music very much, but it is really good. His his score is consistently fantastic. And in this episode in particular, there were scenes that I was very conscious of. God, his score is perfect. I mean, it's so good. His music is so good. No matter, even you know, episodes that maybe I don't care for, that we've had negative things to say, he's, he's just consistently fantastic. He's really, really good. You know, going back to Saru and Burnham, I mean... You know, like I said, there was a there's that arc that we had with Burnham in the first season. You know, where she's in prison, and by the end of the first season, you know, she's back as a, a science officer. She's kind of back to where she started. And this one, they kind of had that same thing going. You know, um, you know, obviously, you know, by the end of this season, she's actually going to be captain of Discovery. So it's kind of like they have to do like a micro. You know, okay, we got to tear her down again and then so she can build herself back up to get where she's supposed to go so that's kind of seems what they're doing again 
Um, this season, I guess, I guess it wouldn't be as like dramatic as what happened in the first season. Obviously, you know, she started a war and then went to prison. This is a, you know, a little lighter version of that, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing. The one other thing I wanted to specifically point out, I like that scene between Saru and Tilly where Saru talks about, he hasn't felt this level of mistrust toward Burnham since they were on the Shinzo and Tilly specifically tells him that he needs to tell the Admiral. I could see how... Tilly's character has evolved over the show. You know, she wouldn't have said that at the beginning. It's good. They're both good performances, and uh, it was a well-written scene and well-performed. It isn't clear, though, that he actually did go and tell the Admiral, or is it? He did. There was a quick scene where he goes and tells him. Okay, I guess I missed that. Uh, What is this episode about? Self-sealing symbols? They must have needed those to help fix the the (laughs) knock ship. (laughs) <laughs> engineering um i guess it's about finding one's place you know that kind of leads into what you were talking about with tilly you know she started to kind of find her place and she's kind of you know she, her she's starting to mature um saru there's a maturity there you know he's got to take action as a captain you know he's got to you know go tell his command that his first officer has done what she's done and you know there's consequences to that um Burnham, um, you know, she she gets to where, you know, she grows throughout the season. There's not that growth here. Maybe the growth for her in this episode, you know, and, and finding out herself is at the very end where, you know, she tells Saru he's right for what he's doing. So she's conscious of the fact that what's going on with her isn't right, and it's not right for her to be in a, the kind of position of, of authority that Saru wanted her to be in. So kind of one of the themes I took from this. Yeah, I'll buy that. I mean, if it can be, if it's anything, it it is about kind of level setting. It's everyone getting into a a position where they they should be in the whole big picture. I mean, it, it was it's like uh, Burnham as the first officer. Does it make sense? Well, in some respects, early on, but then we find it doesn't feel right. She makes her choices. Granted, we don't understand her motivations entirely, but that's what she, what she does. And then we begin to see some foreshadowing in terms of where Tilly's going to end up in the way she thinks and so on. So if, if it's about anything, it, it's that. It's people kind of coming and coming to terms with where with the roles they're willing to play in the, in the scheme of things, I suppose. All right, let's do Six Degrees for Scavengers. Adam. Yes. Noah Averbach Katz plays the Andorian. Rin? Is that his name? Rin? Yeah. Uh, he is married to which Discovery regular? Which actress is he married to? Um... Now, I mean, the actor is married to an actress, not Rin is married to this character. I'm trying to think what actress might be in his age group to guess. Regular. I'm, I don't know. Michelle Yeoh. No. Steve. Gosh, I do not know. How about the, uh, how about Emily Coots? No. Mary Wiseman. Tilly. No, I mean, Aaron. Really? Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell how old he is in the, in the blue paint. Yeah, he's the, Michelle Yeoh old. I don't think so. Yeah. No. He and Mary Wiseman apparently went to school together. I mean, like, like uh, acting school. All right. Uh, Steve takes it for the day because he knew what his favorite Cronenberg movie was. 
Let's see. I'll, I'll, I'll go more recent, Brad. I'll go History of Violence. How's that? Mm. More recent one. For me, it would be Dead Ringers still. Yeah. All right. Uh, we found out they're going to do another one of these September 8th Star Trek Day mm-hmm. things. Um, yep. You know, it's it's more of a slightly less of a celebration of Star Trek, it feels like, and slightly more of a marketing the new stuff. But that's fine. You know, it's it's something. It's fun. It's cool. That they're doing it. I like it. So they have two days. So they have um, First Contact Day and then this day. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, September 8th is the official birthday. So that one maybe makes more sense to do start your you know uh, marketing type stuff and then you can do you can celebrate the in-universe side of it on first contact day didn't you say um the dodgers would do something on start or was that just somewhere throughout the season not necessarily in september oh they haven't done anything they had they did a star trek day years ago many years ago but they haven't done they're having a hello kitty day right now tonight is hello kitty night um (laughs) But we can't get another Star Trek night? Come on. <laughs> like most teams, they do They do Star Wars night every year. But uh, clearly the Star Trek day didn't sell that well, or they would have done it again. Uh, let's see. All right. Well, we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next two episodes of Discovery's third season. Until then, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Companion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. And you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Thanks so much for spending an hour with us, and until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.